Have you been considering taking your horse or Western photography passion to the next level? Hi, it's Kara with Cowgirls with Cameras, and I want to tell you about our Cottonwood Ranch photography experience in August. This experience is a workshop, portfolio builder, business clinic, and gathering set in the majestic scenery of the Nevada mountains. This event is learning intensive and full of shooting opportunities that feature ranch work, western horses, cowboys, cowgirls, horses, and dogs. You'll walk away feeling more confident in your camera editing and business skills, shoot a few thousand images, and gain new friends in the process. Our events are always focused on collaboration over competition, and our three instructors, myself, Kim Beer, and Phyllis Burchette, are all deeply passionate about seeing you reach your photography goals. To learn more about this event and other photography adventures we have coming up, head over to cowgirlswithcameras.com. It's time to laugh, learn, and take your photography to the next level with your favorite Cowgirls with Cameras, Kara, Kim, and Phyllis. Welcome to the Cowgirls with Cameras podcast. I'm Kim with Kim Beer Photography and Be More Business. I'm Kara with Fast Horse Photography. And I'm Phyllis with Phyllis Burchette Photo. Hello. Hi. I feel like I haven't <laughs> seen you guys on here in forever. <laughs> You're so funny. really. I feel yeah. just the opposite. <laughs> Phyllis is like, I've already spent too much time with you two this morning. <laughs> yeah, for those that are tuning in, we've been batch recording all day in anticipation of the holidays and the new year. So we are on our third episode of Cowgirls with Cameras. So we're looking into the future right now, basically, because this episode will be coming out in 2024. Happy Exciting, New right? Year, everybody, and welcome <laughs> to right. the to the spectacular New Year. May when this episode comes out, nothing horrible have happened. <laughs> so that's already set twenty four up to be a crazy year. Kira's looking at me like, "Why the heck did you mention that?" It's just every year. Like, Why do you have to go I there? <laughs> I get to the end of the year and I have such high hopes for the next year. And I, I remember, I, I think 2020, I still have PTSD from 2020. I was oh, so excited about 2020. And then, you know, we got into that year and then we thought, oh my gosh, at least we're through it with 2021. But then that was as bad. And then 2022 and 23 has been not as spectacular as I would like. So 24, we are expecting a lot from you or I am anyway. And I uh, hope you are fulfilling nine days into the year. <laughs> well, we're just happy that everyone is joining us in the new year over here on the Cowgirls with Cameras podcast. Before we get started with today's super exciting episode, I say that <laughs> because we've been going back and forth on how exciting this episode is going to be. I want to talk to you guys about our events that we have coming up. So we are really excited. We've already mentioned a couple times on the show that we have our horses in the snow. That's not what it's called. It is called the Horses in the Snow Winter Photographers Getaway coming up February 28th through March 3rd. That's right around the corner. Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, you'll still have time to get in. So as of today, when we're recording this on December 1st, we still have a couple spots available. So we'd love for you to join us. Go check that out on our events page at cowgrosswithcameras.com. The other event I want to mention is a Cottonwood Ranch Immersive Photography Experience. This is a huge favorite for us. This will be our third year heading out to Wells, Nevada, to the Cottonwood Ranch. It is scheduled for August 22nd through 27th, 2024. I always have the most amazing time there. If you want to photograph the West, if you want to photograph the dust, the light, the scenery, the cowboys, the cowgirls, the ranch kids, the dogs, this event has it all. It's such an incredible learning opportunity as well. So depending upon, it could be anywhere from you're a beginner to someone who wants to advance their skills, maybe you're more intermediate and you just want to move your skills up. This is such a great supportive environment to do that. We stay in this adorable lodge. We have incredible food. The shooting opportunities are just off the charts. And the biggest thing 
thing is we have a ton of fun and we do a lot of laughing and we would love for you guys to consider joining us for this event. Once again, if you want to see our full lineup, we've got a lot of exciting things coming. Head over to cowgirlswithcameras.com, hit our events link and find an event that works for you that is going to bring you something exciting in 2024. And most importantly, get you to come hang out with us. We want to know you. We want you to hang with us. So come hang with us. All right, Kim, what are we talking about today? Get this episode rolling. Well, we still have to talk about what we got to catch up on. Oh, I mean, after all, we have all um, survived the holidays by this point. And we hope since it's in the future. (laughs) Yes, this is in the future. So I know for me, I am super excited about my day tomorrow and hopefully I'll be well on my way, but I'm going to a vision board workshop tomorrow where I'm going to create my vision board for the future. And I've been thinking about all the things I want to manifest and do in 2024 and hopefully I'm well underway and getting those done by the time you're listening to this. So this is absolutely my favorite time of year because it's all about planning and visioning and questing into the future. And before my feet hit the ground running and Phyllis and I are off at Art of the Cowgirl and well, all of us, Kara's coming too on the 16th of January. I just love this time of year because it's, I get to immerse myself in the things that I love to do, which is the strategic planning and, and all of that kind of stuff and thinking about the future. So that's where I'm spending my time and planning and expanding and growing and thinking of all of the things I want to create and get done and manifest in in 2024, which I'm super excited about. What have you guys been up to? Well, I am pretty much finished with all the holiday stuff. I'm finished with all my portrait clients. I am at this point in time doing creative consults for 2024. So for the folks that have signed up to have equestrian portrait sessions in 2024, we're getting geared up for those. In Florida, this is the time of year where it's portrait season. Like we'd rather be out shooting right now than doing it in the heat of the summer. So gearing up for all those uh, new year portrait shoots. Also gearing up for the Horses on the Beach workshop. So that's in February as well. So we're starting the process of getting the models lined up, just kind of just firming all of that up. I have a lot of exciting things planned there and working with Phyllis to try to talk about wardrobe and that sort of thing. So other than that, I have been enjoying some downtime because we traveled for the holidays I purposefully made this time of year less crazy so I can kind of reset. So I'm doing things like just checking that my welcome packet for my clients is where I want it, looking at my price list, making sure it's firm how I want it, finalizing any kind of like goal planning that I want to do for next year. That's, I mean, it's been, this has been a dream. It's where I want to be right now. The perfect time gearing up for the new year. What about you, fellas? Well, this feels kind of weird talking about what I did in December, even though I haven't done it yet, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) holidays. (laughs) So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about what I'm going to do, but it's going to be in the past tense. Yeah. So the holidays have kept me busy (laughs) going to, don't do that. That's too funny. (laughs) Going, uh, we have a lot of festivals coming up, and I've got friends. I already got a lot of friends coming to my house for get-togethers. Got different parties planned. Going to my sister's house with family for, uh, which is a big stretch. It's right next door, so I don't have to travel far for that one. Um, My nephew's going to (laughs) be here over the holidays. We're going to spend a lot of time riding bikes. As always, keeping up with office work, trying to get some long overdue editing done while the weather is not so great. Although we usually have pretty nice weather here in Christmas, except for last year when we had below zero. Just wrapping up the end of the year business with New Year's and a birthday celebration for me, New Year's Eve. And I'm looking really looking forward to Art of the Cowgirl in January, this Imaging USA that Kim and I are going to in Kentucky. Kara and I will host our Horses on the Beach workshop, of course, in St. Augustine and our winter getaway. I'm all looking forward to January and February travel. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we have some fun planned. So what we're going to be talking about today is workflow. And 
I know that for, for many of, for us, I, one of the, the discussions that we were having is how this is not the most exciting topic on the planet. The truth is, is that a lot of photographers, when they're at our events or when I'm mentoring people, a lot of what comes up is this very topic of workflow. And no, it's, it's not as sexy as maybe talking about all the crazy questions that we talked about last episode or even talking about Equine Photographers Network from the one before, but it is such a necessary topic to understand. And I think the first place I want to start expressing is that there is no right or wrong workflow out there everybody eventually develops their own. What we want to impart to you today is how we each approach the time period and the workflow from the button press after the button press has occurred all of the way to where that image goes to its final destination if it's one of the images that's chosen to go to a final destination because there's a whole process in there that everybody has to go through. And what we're going to talk about is how each of us approach the basic little steps of that. And we've picked out five steps to kind of talk about how each of us do it. For some of us, we may combine two of those steps into one motion. For others of us, we may break out a step into additional steps. So what you're going to get is a pretty broad look at how a workflow starts to come together for a photographer. Now, as we're talking about these things, there's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind. Number one thing that you need to keep in mind is each of us have very different business models. And we each have our own unique approach to what we want that destination image to do. So as you're listening to this, if there's one of us who your business model is closer to, that's the person maybe your ears should perk up a little harder on in understanding how their workflow got put together together. So I think without further ado, let's dive in. So to me, the first step of the process is after that button gets pushed is getting the image from the camera to your computer. Now, the way I approach that is that I try to download every or put on my computer, we call it downloading. It's really not. It's more transferring. Transfer the images from my card to my computer for each individual photo shoot. In other words, I don't accumulate photo shoots on a card. I shoot for that scene, that section, that day, that topic. And then that card goes to, for me, it goes to my iPad and I place the card in, I load the images in Lightroom, and then that starts into my next step, which is picking and culling, which we're going to get to in the next piece. So I'm going to save that for that. But then the images go on to my iPad. Only the images that I have chosen end up on the iPad. The rest of the images on the card get backed up redundantly to two different hard drives. And then the card gets reformatted and goes back in my card case to get used again. Where do you guys rank in that? Like, Kara, why don't you start and talk about what is your process from after the button push until you get the the images into your computer? I'm pretty similar to yours. I mean, I take my images and put them on an external hard drive. And that's kind of like my first copy and then I just, I don't know if you guys do this, but I don't ever format. Like I have enough memory that I don't ever format my cards until my product is, until my images are delivered and backed up multiple times. I'm just really, really paranoid that way. So yeah, so then I, my images are on an external hard drive and then I have a, a second hard drive location that they're also backed up on. So I have two backup copies of the raw files and that's where I start. That's also backed up on, I have a Backblaze. I use Backblaze, which is a cloud-based service. So I have, I guess you would say three copies <laughs> of my RAWs before I even start editing. Yeah. What about you, Phyllis? How do you, what is your process from button push to when they get on the computer? Well, I, I guess it's a little, if I'm at home on a shoot, I come straight home and and do my, I download images to an internal drive using Photo Mechanic 
which I love because it has faster import speeds. It's great for photo viewing, captioning, and culling. And, and since I use Photoshop, I, I also can access my images in, in Adobe Bridge, which is a library or a catalog system. But if I'm on the road, I download images to two separate external hard drives. Um, if I have the option to keep the images on the cards, then I will. If I don't need those, I, I don't, I mean, I have a lot of cards, but I probably don't have as many as I need at some shoots we do, especially when we're gone for three weeks at a time. But just on the road, I have two separate external hard drives I download images to. And if I can, I keep them on the cards. If not, I may format those cards and use them. Yeah, it's an organizational system that you use. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about, are we going to talk about backups later or do you want to talk about that now? We'll talk about backups at the end as well. But I think what the important takeaways from this is, well, first of all, let's, let me clarify something. For me, I do all of my editing on my iPad. I rarely do editing in Lightroom Classic on my desktop computer anymore. Everything is done through the iPad. I am addicted to it. That's the way I do it. Kara is using Lightroom on a laptop or a desktop computer. And then Phyllis is using Adobe Bridge combined with Photo Mechanic. And then she'll get into processing into Photoshop as she moves forward. And I think all of us go through a process in Photoshop, which we'll get to in a little bit. The key takeaways here are one, I think all three of us have learned over the years that it is really important to have a lot of memory cards for your camera. So you shouldn't ever feel pressed to have to reduce the amount of shots you take or edit in camera, call in camera, because you don't have enough memory in your pocket. So it's important at every shoot to be able to take your memory out and to be able to have those cards to be able to utilize and to not have to worry about hitting the ceiling of your memory capacity for what you're doing to record those images. The second piece of it is, is I think all of us want to have redundancy. I think Kira probably has a system that is the most well-rounded redundancy in that she won't erase that card until the image reaches its final destination. I don't have that. I figure once it's on two hard drives and it's on my iPad, it's a done deal. For me, when it when you put an image on the iPad, that image is stored in the cloud because you're using the Lightroom, the mobile version of Lightroom. So it goes up into the cloud. And so I have a further redundant storage. So basically I have four places that that image is, the chosen images are. The non-chosen ones kind of get dunked into other folders. So here I want to stop and ask a question about exactly that. When you are culling your images for the two of you, and we'll start with Phyllis's answer first, do you toss your culled images? Do you erase them from your drives and from your cards or do you keep them? I don't usually call if I'm on the road. I wait till I get home to view my images on a larger monitor where I can really see what I have. At home, I review them and select the best ones. I do delete any duplicates or shots that didn't turn out that I know are obvious. I have a simple culling system. One star gets deleted, five stars is a keeper. And yeah, I delete the ones that are one star. They are deleted totally. Yes. So they're erased from prosperity forever. Uh, what about you, Kara? What do you do? Do you I don't delete those? anything. Yeah, I don't delete anything either. Well, I mean, if they're For one star, I have they're this bad. Fear. <laughs> if they're if they only I even are a keep one the star, bad ones. <laughs> not me. I don't do that. I got too many. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree. I see where you're coming from, and I do I wish do too, I probably but... called a, and deleted some. But the the issue for me comes down to because it's uh, for me a lot of times it's client work. I just never know if I'm going to need an ear or an eyeball or a tailpiece or something That's from something. I, yeah. So I keep them for that purpose, and also the time that goes into me going through and deleting them. Like I just am kind of lazy about that. So it comes down to those two things. Well, I'm looking for my best images and that's, and so when I'm looking, I'm also, I'm also delete, I'm also starring what wants, what is not my good images. Yeah. I'm always like, if I have a picture where 
I, unless maybe I, I cropped off a tail or something, which is rare, but maybe it's a running shot and I didn't have the horse in the right, you know, positioned right. And I, and I liked his tail better in one shot better than the other one. That really is rare for me, but I would probably keep yeah. those. But if it's obvious where the horse is on a downbeat and I don't like the stride he's in, it gets deleted right off the bat. I'm not keeping that image, not even for prosperity. <laughs> if it's out of focus, if his eyes are closed, you know, now sometimes I might have an image where the rider's eyes are open and the rider looks great and the horse's eyes are closed. And I may be able to combine those two. So yeah, I may keep yeah. those, but I just have too many images from a shoot. I can't keep all those, especially now with mirrorless. I find my shooting myself mm-hmm. shooting way more than I need to and getting yeah. duplicates of the same image, you know, and it's just, I just can't keep all that. <laughs> I float back to what Kara said. I tend to stick into that same philosophy is that I may need something from that image. And also I use these images a lot of my quote unquote cold images as art reference for other projects that I do, where that's going to get chopped up, where I'm going to take a pencil and totally manipulate it. And some of those images have the better version for that. Even the out of focus ones, it, it doesn't matter if it's soft, if I'm using it for reference for something else, if I really like the other pieces of the image, I don't have a problem with that. For straight up photography, however, I just keep them for the basic reasons that Kara mentioned is that I might use something, some piece of that. And also it takes too much time to go back and worry about getting rid of those images. With Lightroom and editing on the iPad though, I only go back to those piles that I didn't have that that have the images that I didn't like the first round. I only go back to that if in case I need some piece or part of something. So the iPad has definitely reduced the amount of images that I store in my actual Lightroom catalog than previously. So, all right, well, let's move on to the other next piece of this, which is picking and culling, which is always the next part. So once you get those images on the computer, you need to have some criteria for how you pick and call them. And we've already kind of touched into that a little bit. But in this part of this, I want to break down for each of us how you do that. So personally, what I do is when the image comes in into Lightroom in my iPad, I don't want to import every image off that card because my iPad has a very limited storage space until those images can get in the cloud. I was able to do the whole three weeks without moving images to the cloud when we all were on the, the road for three weeks together. So I was pretty impressed with the fact that my iPad handled that just fine. But what I do is I look at the image and if I remotely think that image is usable, like I think that that's something I want to take a deeper look at or I want to go in and blow it up and really examine it because there's a limited amount of view you can get in the mobile version of Lightroom then I'm going to choose that image and then all the other images just stay on the card and then they go off onto those hard drives and then the card gets reformatted. Once the images are in my Lightroom, what I do is go through them. And if I can, if I'm on Lightroom Classic, I always import with a preset of my baseline edits already in there. So I don't have to spend time on that. That's one of the efficiencies in my workflow. But the next thing I do is I do what Phyllis does. (laughs) I kind of give them a ranking. If they don't have a star in my world, they're not that interesting to me. If they get one star, it's something I maybe want to look at further. And then it ranks up to five stars, which are images that I'm super excited about. And those are the ones that are going to be the first ones for me to work on to edit. So the stars. In Lightroom, you in Classic, you have a multitude of ways of marking images. You can use pick, call, reject, and delete your rejected images in one fail swoop. You can also use colors. There's just a lot of ways to designate the images. But to me, the stars are really super easy, especially in Lightroom Classic, because you just have to press the keyboard equivalent of one for one star or five for five stars. So Kira, how do you handle this? How do you go through for picking and culling? What's your process? I use Lightroom as well, although Phyllis is 
really convincing me I need to move to photo mechanics. So I've been thinking about that, but I do use Lightroom and I, I think you called it pick, but I flag. So I do one run through and flag anything that I would consider a potentially usable image. And sometimes that means I'll have like three or four of the same really similar image that I'll flag anything that's in good shape that's a possible usable image. It gets flagged. Then I go through another time and I give a one star to anything that I think I'm going to actually edit for my client. So I'll go through and look at the ones that maybe have four pictures that are really similar, check for sharpness, check for expression, horse's ears. I just kind of look through all of that. Anything that gets a one star gets edited. And then I have a one step further. If I feel like I'm going to be sending images out for editing, so like I do outsource, I will go through and two star anything that's going to be collected and gathered and sent out for outsource editing. And then my final images that go to my client for viewing get a four star. And then after those images have been viewed by my client, they get a five star if they need a finishing edit prior to artwork ordering. So I use all my stars and I use my flag, but I don't use my colors. I love how your images earn their five stars. They do. They earn their five stars. (laughs) Yep. If they make it to wall art, they get a five star. (laughs) Nice. Phyllis, what about you? And because you have a very radically different system than Kara and I do. (laughs) I think I've pretty much covered mine. It's pretty simple. Although in photo mechanic, I do use colors instead of stars. But those, if I look at those same images in Bridge, they show the the colors. So I, you know, if I'm edit, if I'm culling in bridge, I use a star system. If I'm culling in photo mechanic, I use colors. If I color it red, it means it's going to, it's going to the trash can. If it's uh, purple, it's a, it's a keeper. And mine's very simple that my, my big edits for print are always going to be TIFF files and they're always going to be either purple. They're always going to be a purple or a five star. So I have a little different way of knowing what I'm going to go for print is going to be a TIFF. I'm also, I think kind of, I just found out about a, I'm kind of curious about a new program called Filter Pixel. It's specifically for photo culling and it's using AI technology. So I'm kind of curious about that. What little bit I've looked at it, I think it may work for what I'm doing. I'm not sure yet. I want to look into that a little bit more too. Say the name for every person who is listening to this that's now trying to fumble with their phone and go back 15 seconds. What's the name of that software again? It's called Filter Pixel. Filter Pixel. And Mm -hmm. if it's my understanding of the brief discussion we had on this at some other random time, is that it's particularly good for these mirrorless cameras, which occasionally you press the button a little card and you have 150 photos that are very, very similar to each other. Yes. And rather than you going through and looking at every photo, it goes through and says, yay, this is the one where, you know, the horse's eyes are open and that, uh, yeah. It'll group the ones that are similar. And then it, uh, to my understanding now, I'm not sure, but it'll group the ones that are similar. And then it'll actually show you what they think is a keeper and what they think is you should go to the trash bin, but then you have the option to go back. It's not going to delete them. You can go back through and check it. And if maybe there's, like you said, something it didn't see that maybe you want to keep. So, um, but that's yeah. my understanding is that it'll group the ones that are similar or what it calls light, you know, all alike. And then it'll tell you which ones, like you may have 10 images of the same exact pose, but one of those, the girl may, the model may have their eyes closed It'll, it'll say that's a one to get rid of. So that's, that's very handy depending on what your workflow is. And again, for everybody listening to this workflows differ, it's, it's what you particularly want to be able to do and you should choose your software accordingly with what works with the things that you are doing. So you can experiment, you can kick yourself in and, and try different editing software. A lot of these programs offer 30 day free trials, so it's easier to get into. So now my next question, because kind of in living in this zone for a lot of these programs is keywording and setting up your metadata and that kind of stuff. So 
I will be the first to admit ever since I have left the world of doing a lot of imagery that was geared towards like a stock image catalog kind of situation, I really have gotten bad about not keywording my images. And the mobile version of Lightroom, so the CC, which I think they just call Lightroom now, doesn't really offer you hardly any capacity to be able to do keywording. It's one of the biggest downsides to that particular editing workflow that I have. So I sort of have jumped ship and abandoned my keywords altogether since it's not so much useful and I just use a folder, nested foldering system to organize things. Do you, either of you use keywords and where do you put it in this process in keywording your images? I do use keywords, but it's very general keywording for each shoot. Let's just say we come back from the Dryhead Ranch and when I use Photo Mechanic to download those images, it, it has a large criteria for keywording and location and, and everything in there. So I'm kind of general. I may use Western, comma, ranch, comma, cowboy, comma, cowgirl, you know, something general, Montana. I don't get real specific about, you know, exactly like lady or <laughs> I don't, you know what I'm saying, but I do keyword just by using general yeah. keywords and by use photo mechanic for it by the shoot. I do that as I download each shoot because I change it for each shoot. Does that make sense? So I just Googled this and photo mechanic has an iOS version. I'm going to look into that. It has an ability to be used on an iPad. So I'm going to, oh, cool. I'm going to do some sleuthing. What cool. about you, Kara? Where do you place keywords and stuff into your... I do keywords upon import in Lightroom. And like Phyllis, I keep them really general. And I probably don't use it as well as I should, but I do very general keywording upon input. And in Lightroom Classic, it's really smart to do it on input because if you use your overall kind of overarching keywords, mm -hmm. then you can take advantage of a lot of the smart features in Lightroom to be able to put certain images in, in folders automatically. You can do that with starring too. Like Kara can, if she has the five star images that she knows needs further edits, they can go directly into a folder because they're five star images and they're all in there for her to find in one folder. So there's I, a lot of ways in a lot of these programs to set up for efficiency. Yes, Phyllis, go ahead. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention that I also put my metadata and my, my photographer information in there at the same time when I'm downloading through Photo Mechanic. I mean, I could do it in Bridge too. It's e either way. I'm always, I'm uploading my, my metadata, my photographer, my website, my contact info all gets put in there at the same time. Yeah. And in most software that allows you to import images and do go through this call and pick process is going to have some capability for you to be able to either save a preset or enter your metadata information. And I can't stress enough how important this is, even if you're a hobbyist photographer, to make sure that you get your metadata entrenched in your images because it's the way that you can track your image. It's the part of things that gives you the ability to find your images online through different software programs that allow you to hunt for where your images are being published. That software looks at that metadata. And in general, that metadata is going to follow that image pretty much all along. And it's a kind of a crime for people to take it off your image, but it's the proof of how you own that image. So in copyright and a lot of other things, it's important to really understand what metadata is and to use it. And if you have some confusion around it, I encourage you to Google it or watch some YouTube videos around it. I'm sure there's a lot. So once you get your images picked and culled, like I said, for me on import, and we've talked about this, and I think all three of us use things on import that allow us to work faster and more efficiently with our images. Just the sheer volume of images that photographers have to go through these days because of our modern cameras means that we have to be more efficient how we do it. But for me, the next step in my process is baseline edits. As a commercial photographer, 
this is where I think we're going to start to really diverge in how we approach our workflows. For me as a commercial photographer, once those images are picked, unless I find something that I really don't like about that image, it's going to go into that client's gallery because I'm going to let them make the final decisions between maybe I have three or four images that are similar, not exactly the same, but similar. I'm not going to pick the image. I'm going to let them do that because they may want to use one, like I'll, I'll shoot one with a little extra negative space. I'll shoot one tighter in. I'll shoot one that might be more appropriate for a brochure, maybe one more appropriate for a website. So I baseline edit all of those images. And for me, that means color correction. It means cropping, straightening the horizon, and just really basic stuff. It doesn't have a lot of like fine-tuned artistic stuff to it, but I will, those images that are picked, they're going to get edited. And the way I do it as fast as I do is I rely on making my own presets and applying those to the image and then also taking advantage of Lightroom's engine where I can copy edits across multiple images that are very similar to each other at one time. It's what gives me the ability to really edit quickly and get images up into a gallery so that the clients can start using them in their marketing. So that's my baseline edit process. Now, some images will go on to the next step, but a lot of my images, this is where they end. <laughs> this is the end of my involvement with them. It's where them and I part ways. <laughs> so what's your guys' let's start with Kara this time. What is your next step, Kara, after the picking and culling? So I will, usually if I have images that are being outsourced, I'll gather those up and send them out for outsourcing. And then when they come back to me, I finalize the edits. So a lot of time my outsourcing is like simple skin retouching. That's very like, you got to do the same thing on every image, color correction, skin retouching, color correction, that sort of thing. And then those images come back to me and I finish the image and edit horses as needed, do any head swaps that are needed, that sort of thing on my own. If there are images that are not being outsourced, then I would go through and use, I would set my initial image and then a lot of times if it's in the same setting like you do, I'll copy over that process to images that are in that same grouping so that I don't have to do that individually. Unfortunately, though, I do a lot of editing today in Photoshop. So that is a longer process and I have not been successful with being consistent about creating my own presets in Photoshop. So I do a lot. I do take a longer time, I think, editing that way. But my editing process is, is time consuming. Once it's all edited and ready for viewing, I create a folder that's images for selection for my client. And when we go through the viewing and ordering appointment, I work with my clients and we talk about any additional editing that's needed prior to print. So that's actually part of the process. When that happens, then those images get pulled the additional editing is then done at that point. So I will do a combination of editing full galleries, depending upon the client. When a client comes to the viewing appointment, there are from each of the categories, example images edited, but there might be images that they see that are that are very basic edited. So maybe they've just had some color correction and gentle skin cleanup for the viewing process. So they will need finishing touches put on if they're selected. My goal is to not sit and fully edit a gallery of 50 images and have my client pick three pictures that are going to be made into wall art and then have put all that time and energy into editing all 50 of those images when I know they're only going to select a handful for wall art. Those would be the ones that would then get the full final edit. So does that make sense what I said there? Or did I say it that? It does. Yeah. Okay. No, Perfect. you did. Perfect you made sense. total sense. Yeah. Perfect what about sense. you, Phyllis? What do you, how do you <laughs> land on this? Wow. I'm, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, first off. I know you, you diverge <laughs> from us. I know. I, if, <laughs> and if you follow my newsletter, you pretty much know my creative process because I do a lot of before and afters. I do one each month. So for people to see what my process is, but I do choose to use Photoshop as my main photo editing software. 
and I only enhance certain images. <laughs> my images are kind of like my children. I have special ones, you know, that I like better than others. Raw, <laughs> raw files uh, are opened into Adobe Camera Raw, where I do my basic edits like exposure, shadows, highlights, color balance, even straightening horizon in there. I have had a couple jobs where I, like I did a branding last year in, in South Dakota, that they didn't care about having art from there. This was the last branding that they were ever going to have at this particular ranch. And they just wanted the day documented. So I did batch edit all the like, you know, the, the images that were of the same basic lighting in Adobe Camera Raw, and it made my process way faster. <laughs> but that's not my general workflow. My general workflow is that uh, if I need to do further edits, uh, I use Photoshop and I use I use a lot of plugins, like uh, I love Nick by DxO. I mostly use Nick ColorFX or Nick SilverFX Pro for my black and white conversions, and I may do different versions of that. I use uh, Topaz Sharpen AI for sharpening. I may use, uh, for noise reduction, I may use Enhance, which is uh, embedded in part of Adobe Camera Raw, or I might use Topaz Denoise AI if needed. I also love a lot of Greater Than Gatsby actions for Photoshop. They do offer the presets for Lightroom. So I have, my whole editing process is probably more extensive than everybody else's because I'm always, I'm thinking about images that can go for art because I want to think about what I can send to my publisher that can make me money as art images to resell. I'm also, that's in the back of my head all the time is what can I use for an art image? So I'm spending more time on them than I would for just general client use, actually. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because that's, that's the goal of this episode, right? Is to let people know there's different ways to do things. I have a curiosity question that I've never asked you, and I, I think I know the answer to <laughs> uh -oh. it, but I could be deadly wrong on this. When you get into the editing of an image, like you pick one of your children that you're going to work on, do you stay with that image start to finish? In other words, you're going to complete that image to where you're going to be done with it and it's ready to go? Or do you have multiple images you're working on at a time? In general, I will finish each image unless it's something that I'm struggling with. I may save the layers and come back and look at it the next day or something. That's exactly what I was looking for. And and that brings up something else that I think is unique among, and, and, and in typical, with Phyllis and I, you find that both of us tend to do things like we, we go opposite directions on a lot of stuff. And I always find it interesting in Phyllis's creative process with Photoshop she doesn't save her layers. Like she will flatten that image out or merge layers down where I have images that I have added layers to that'll have a hundred plus layers in the file and I never merge them together. <laughs> it's the same concept of keeping your calls, right? I don't know. There's something about, I, I always want the option to go back and change it. Yeah, I can't do that. I just, once I'm done, once I'm happy with it, I flatten it and save it as a, a TIFF or like I said, if it's, you know, if it's just a, it depends on where it's going. If it's going to a client, then a JPEG, if it's going to my publisher, it'll be a TIFF. And then of course I resize for social media too. So it's, you know, they're all, but no, I don't, unless it's something that I'm gonna, I think I'm not happy with, I will save layers then. But if I'm still struggling with it, I will save layers. Otherwise it gets, if I'm like, okay, I'm done <laughs> because I just, I don't need to, commiserate over it. <laughs> yeah. I love your ability to turn loose of it. I, I don't know. I just get, I always want that option open to go back and say, you know, if I want to go back and adjust, like I do some really complicated composite images. And if I want to go back and be able to just shift that even just the slightest little bit, I, I want to have that option open. Kara, do you save your layers or do you flatten them? Very rarely do I save all the layers. If it's a client order and we're still like finalizing it, I'll save the layers. Otherwise, I'm like, Phyllis, I flatten everything. I don't know. I it, Unless I've done extensive work on it, I always feel like I can come back to it. I don't stress. I don't stress too much about it. But I also I don't, I don't, don't do a ton of heavy composite work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what I like was if I'm say, combining I... a bunch of horses in an image for a client 
And I was, and I'm afraid she might come back to me and say that horse needs to be a little bigger or smaller based on what I can't remember. Then I would save all those layers, but that's because that's a lot more work. (laughs) I would do that as well. And I actually save that and send them a a flattened copy just to say, I want you to preview this and make sure you think the horses look like they need to look before. And I will, I will will definitely keep the layers. Yes. Cause I don't want to go back and do all that work again. (laughs) That's the thing. And I, I do compositing in a different way. So I'm taking overlays and putting them around the image. But I And I did the same thing when I created my tarot deck. And I was very miffed with the fact that Procreate, as your file size gets bigger, you have fewer layers that you can store. And so my solution to that was I would save the file with layers that were there before I started collapsing them. And then I would make a new file and collapse, you know, merge the layers so I could get more layers to work with. So I'm a layer, like I don't delete layers. I love my layers. If you're a layer with me, you have a full life. Um, But apparently in other people's workflows, things get compressed, which is to say, again, it's all about you and how you want to develop your workflow. So the final piece in all of this, so we've kind of hit on the fine edits. In my world, only very special images get to that really complicated fine edit portion where I take, I do all of my baseline edits in Lightroom and then if it's going to go for fine editing, it's going to go into Photoshop and I'm going to work it in Photoshop. And so that's my fine layer thing. I think that um, Phyllis has already let us know that's where it goes. Kira, do you have anything to add to the fine edits piece or you pretty well explained it, but just a curiosity if you have anything to add. Not really, other than very few of my images probably get there, just the ones that are being used for something or if like for client purposes, or if they're artwork pieces that are going to be available in my art shop. I tend to not put that much work into my images that are for stock imagery. I just like to keep them pretty simple. So yeah, I would just, that would be the only thing I would add is that not a ton of my images get to that level. Just the ones that are mine either. That's the ones that are making me money. Yeah. And so it is a very funneled process, right? If you're Mm -hmm. looking at what has happened so far, the shutter press makes an image, but then there's a lot of shutter presses. But by the time we get to this next step, which is really preparing this for their destination and then making sure that image is safely stored somewhere because you can't recreate it at this point, there's fewer and fewer images in every single step make the cut until we get to this last piece, which is preparing that image for the destination. Now, I think one of the hardest things people have a hard time wrapping their head around when it comes to Lightroom or any non-destructive editing, Photoshop, Bridge, any of this is that you don't need to like, the image goes to its destination. Now, here is the place I will delete it. Because if it's going to a web, I'll make the web file and then the web file is trashable to me. If it's going to print, I'll make the TIFF file that it's going to print in. And then once it's on that project or printed, then that TIFF file goes in the trash. But I'll save the the original or the file that I've used to create that with, with the multiple layers. But yeah, and then at that point, I want to make sure I have my redundancy and my backup again. And preferably, if you're not, well, use the cloud. It's a lot easier today. But before there was the cloud, I would make a copy onto a separate hard drive of the fully edited finished images. And I would keep those off site somewhere in case there was a fire or a tornado or something here at my house. The fact that we have cloud storage now makes that not necessary. So I have my hard drive copies here. And then I do put things up in the cloud. I use Dropbox, Google Drive, and then the cloud piece of Adobe. So I have extra storage that I've purchased in all of those spaces. So what about you guys? What, uh, Phyllis, why don't we start with you? You prep your images, kind of what's your backup procedure, kind of what's that last final step with them? Well, I think I already covered how I save them. I do as, you know, if I'm using them for social media, they get resized and for social media. Uh, most, if I'm sent into a client, they're always JPEGs and high, most of the time high, high resolution. If I do choose to send something to a client, then like I said, tips for my publisher or, or anything going to print, they're always tips. Some companies don't accept tips, but that's rare for uh, like some printers. 
my backup system is uh, I back up to, I use a program called F Backup 9, which my, when I download images, they go to an internal hard drive. And then at night, those are backed up to another, I, I used to have a RAID system, but I don't have that now. It just, it was old and making a lot of noise. So I trashed it. <laughs> so now I have the internal hard drive that where the first copy goes to, then at night, this F backup nine performs a backup to an external hard drive. And then also I'm using Backblaze now for cloud storage too. So there I have three copies right there. The amount of redundant megabytes <laughs> and gigabytes in our lives, my friends. And I'm like you, I have, I have really old images that are on other hard drives that are in actually in fireproof safes off location. They're not even here. They're in my sister's house. So in a, in a, they have a gun safe that they keep a lot of that for me. So, and then I, like I said, that my stuff that gets sent to the publisher, that's another copy if you really want to look at it. And then I also have some stuff on Dropbox too. So. And then now we have Google Drive, so <laughs> we have images everywhere. <laughs> yes, they're scattered to the seven winds. Yep, they are. Carrie, yes. um, do you have anything to add to this discussion before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that on my end with my portrait clients, I've already discussed how I have multiple like files of raw images backed up. At the end of working with my clients, I will typically have a number of different files. I will have a folder that is images that are sized specifically for my slideshow. I will have a folder that are images that are the selected images that are going to print. So they've been sized and formatted for the print purpose that they're being used for. That's a separate folder. And then I will have a folder that is web-sized images that are the ones that are watermarked from the images that my client purchased print product from. So those are the ones that are going to be delivered directly to those clients that I typically keep on either Dropbox or Google, but then it's also backed up on Backblaze. So I have a lot of final folders for each client that I work with. I don't even know how many numbers that ends up being something like six or seven folders probably for each client that I work with. But that's just kind of another interesting piece of it, that all of those steps in my process require different sized images for different, you know, for those purposes. So, and I keep all those folders separate and then some of them are shared with my client. Awesome. Well, we have covered a lot of really interesting information today for people on how to set up a workflow. And I'm hoping that that those of you listening out there have gotten ideas from us about how to create your own workflow or how to tweak the workflow that you already have. And again, AI is changing some of these things and I think it will continue to become our assistant. I'm approaching AI, especially in these instances, as a blessing that is going to help us be more efficient and even better at our craft. So, but we have a lot of things coming down the pike. All right, Kara, do you have anything you want to add? You have our usual typical outgo. Do you want to go ahead and No, I just people? I just want to say if you made it this far, we appreciate you because this was either a super boring episode for you or it was a truly enlightening episode. It's going to go either way. There's no <laughs> in between. So thank you so much for sticking around and joining us today. We appreciate you. We'd love to hear from you online. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook at Cowgirls with Cameras. Let us know what you think about this episode. And if you do something in your workflow, hop in and let us know because you probably will teach us something and we can start incorporating into our workflow because Lord knows that we need another step. And then if you are thinking about joining us somewhere, which we think you should, why wouldn't you? Go to cowgirlswithcameras.com, hit our events page and find out which of the exciting events that we've got planned for this year would be a great adventure for you. We want you to join us. We'd love to see you. We'd love to see you out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cowgirls with Cameras. Don't let the laughter and learning stop here. Join our community on social media and be sure to visit our website for more opportunities to fulfill your photography goals. Head to cowgirlswithcameras.com. That's cowgirlswithcameras.com. See you next time.